have your Bibles, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 38. If you need a Bible, Calvin is up, and he's got two Bibles in his hands, willing to bring you one so you can follow along with us. Just raise your hand, and he'll get one right to your seat. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 38 this morning. All right, starting in verse 27, we read, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The title of my message this morning is The Compassion of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to open up your word, knowing, God, that you desire to speak to our hearts. And all we need to do is have open hearts to receive all that you have for us. And that's our prayer this morning. Lord, anything you want to say to our hearts, anything you want to show us, Lord, that we would be alert and ready to receive it, Lord. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again. We pray, Father, that they would see their need for you and they would come to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. We thank you for your word and how powerful it is, Lord, that you use it to change our lives. And we ask that uh, that your will be done this morning in doing that as well. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know if you caught the news this last week, but uh, 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 NASA landed the InSight lander on Mars on the 26th. We have an actual picture taken from there. There it is. You knew it. You knew that Marvin had to be there. I mean, you know when the Russian cosmonauts made their first little journey around the Earth way back in 1961, they came back with their noses up in the air and, and bragging, we've been in the air and we've been around the Earth and we did not see God. The following Sunday... W.A. Criswell, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, made this classic statement. He said, Ah, if those cosmonauts had stepped out of their spacesuit, they would have seen God. <laughs> John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Jesus was 
manifested in the flesh. He was not any less God because he was man, nor was any any more man because he was God. He was a perfect and real man. And I believe that if you and I would have had the privilege to walk with Jesus in that day, we would have totally enjoyed his company. I think we would have loved his laugh. I bet he had a great laugh. His love and his compassion for people was contagious. I think one of the things we would notice is just how compassionate Jesus truly was. You know, we're told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. And so, if people hang around us, what do we look like? Would people be able to see the compassion that we have for people around us? Here in verse 36, Matthew tells us that when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The compassion of God. So far we have seen the power of Christ over disease, over nature, his power over Satan, his power over sin, his power over suffering, his power over death. And now in these last two miracles in this chapter, we'll see his power displayed and his compassion once again as he heals two blind men and a mute demon-possessed man. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. We'll see Jesus' number one, compassion for the blind. Number two, his compassion for the possessed. And number three, his compassion for the lost. And then in the end, we have to ask ourselves the questions. Do we have compassion for those that are blind spiritually? Do we have compassion for those that are in the grips of Satan doing Satan's will? Do we have compassion for the lost? Now, for those of you that took the Greek class, that word compassion is this word right there. Anybody want to try it? Okay, no. It's the word splak nizomai. Splak. It's a splak. You know, it's one of those words. It actually means to be uh, moved as to one's bowels. Uh, I mean, that, that's the way they looked at it back then. We would say heart today. Bowels were the, 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 the seat of love and, and pity. And actually, pity and, and, and mercy can be regarded as syn- synonyms for the word compassion. It carries with it the idea of being touched in the deepest way possible and in the deepest place of a person's being. And it's interesting that the request that is made by these blind men is, have mercy on us. Have compassion on us. Now this brings us to our point number one, Jesus' compassion for the blind. Reminds me of a story of a blind guy at a ball game. He yelled to his buddy, hey, want to hear a blonde joke? His friend whispers, you need to know that there are three 250-pound blonde ex-football players sitting behind us. And two women in the front of us are blonde, black belts in karate. Do you still want to tell that blonde joke? He replies, no, not if I've got to explain it five times. <laughs> Get it? You have to the blonde. <laughs> Blindness was a, a common thing in those days. It was not unusual to see a lot of beggars that were blind. Because of high poverty, uh, uh, unsanitary conditions, the blazing sun. There was no sunglasses 2,000 years ago, and so it was unfiltered sun, the dust. All these things added to, to blindness. So it was common. As well as gonorrhea of the eyes would cause blindness. 
It's a bacteria that's, that's carried in the birth canal of the mother so that when the baby is born upon birth of, you know, some of that mucus gets into the mucus membranes of the baby's eyes and with, within three days, you know, there's pus running out of the eyes. Within a couple of weeks, the baby is blind. So there are many at that time that would be blind from birth because of this bacteria. Very common thing back then. Now, we don't know why these men were blind. We're not told. Being blind back then meant a very difficult life. They were typically reduced to being beggars. And so here, these two blind men are out in, in need of mercy. And we read them crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, I want you to note here that even though these two men were blind physically, their eyes spiritually were wide open. They knew who they were dealing with and, and what it was that they wanted. They call Jesus Son of David. That's another title for the Messiah of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, the Lord spoke to King David and said this, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever, Obviously, a, a messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ, Jesus as Messiah. And so the term Jesus, son of David, they were recognizing who Jesus was. It wasn't Jesus from Nazareth. It was Jesus, son of David, a messianic term. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, which even in their blind state, they could actually see better than the religious rulers at that time. Someone once bluntly asked blind and deaf Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. How true that is. So where do these blind guys get such insight into the person of who Jesus was? Here's my guess. You know, my guess is that they heard with their ears. You know, they say when, when you lose, you know, one of the senses, one of the other senses picks up. And so if you lose your eyesight, you gain a greater sense of hearing. And perhaps over the last several months, they heard the stories of, of, of other eyewitness accounts of Jesus healing those with diseases and, and, and healing blind people. Now, let me ask you this. If you were, were blind, you would listen with great intense intensity if you heard someone saying, hey, you need to go to Jesus. I mean, we hear that he's healing people of all sorts of diseases. And no doubt, they listened to these stories with great hope and anticipation, and faith. And they thought, man, if Jesus could do this for others, surely he would show mercy and compassion on them. So they come, and we read, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Then look at verse 28. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Now, Notice that Jesus didn't stop what he was doing. They're out there on the road and, and they're walking and the, the, the blind men are crying out, you know, son of David, uh, you know, have mercy on us. Jesus didn't stop and talk to them and, and deal with it right then and there. He waited till he got all the way back to the house uh, to heal them. Now, this reminds us of the patience of faith. They believed that the Lord would show mercy and that they waited upon him for his timing. Perhaps they thought of Psalm 27, verse 14, which says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Well, now they're in the house, and these men are standing there, and, and right in front of Jesus, and Jesus asked them this question. He says, Do you believe that I am able to do this? 
Now that may seem like a weird question to ask, a strange question. I mean, after all, it seems pretty obvious that they had faith, they, they had believed, they, they've shown this amazing persistence, determination by following Jesus all the way back to the house where he was staying. That wasn't easy for a blind person back then. They had to be led, they had to, you know, watch out, it was tough, easy for us, it, they can see. I mean, what a question is that? You know, am I able to do this? Surely, uh, their words alone indicated they had faith. Son of David, have mercy on us. So why did Jesus ask this question? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Surely he knew the answer. I think maybe the words of Charles Spurgeon might help us in this. In a study he did on this passage, he suggests placing the emphasis on the last word of the sentence. Do you believe that I am able to do this? See, Jesus was asking more than whether they believed in, in, the, in, in the power he had uh, that was just shown in, you know, in other people's situation. Or if they believed in theory that Jesus is the Messiah. He was asking them whether they believed that he had the power to heal them of their blindness right then and there. Do you believe I'm able to do this for you? I think it's easy for us sometimes to believe the theory of who Jesus is. And, and maybe to believe that he has worked in other people's lives, but it can be harder for us to believe that he wants to work in my life, in my situation. And we have to ask us the question, do I believe that Jesus is able to do this, whatever this is for your life? Whatever this is. Do I trust in him for my salvation, for my healing, for my forgiveness, for him to answer my prayers and work in my situation? See, it's one thing to believe in theory and another thing to place our lives in his hands. But this is the kind of faith that Jesus was looking for. And I think that can be a challenge for us. I mean, think about this. Is there something in your life, a healing that you need? Do you believe that Jesus could do this in your life? Yeah, you've seen him work in other people's lives. But do you really believe that he would do this for you? How about someone who's spiritually blind and living in darkness and, and is lost? Do you really believe that Jesus can use you to show compassion uh, to this person and, and see this person get saved? Do you really believe that Jesus is able to do this? Whatever the, this is in your life, do you have the faith that these two blind men had to say, yes, Lord? I mean, that was their response, a response that really transformed their life. They said, yes, Lord. There's a song years ago written by Matt Redmond, but performed by Daryl Evans. It was called Trading My Sorrows, and maybe you remember it. But, but you know, the chorus was kind of redundant. But, but I get the point. You know, you get to the chorus, it was, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, and he's going on. Yes, 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 Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then we used to sing it till the Lord would say, stop already, okay? I know, but the Lord didn't say it. <laughs> but, but I get it, you know? Yes, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, yes, Lord, I'm open to it. I'm open to you moving. I'm open to you working in my life as you see fit, as you lead, as you direct. Yes, Lord. And verse 29 we read, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. They were healed. Could you imagine seeing for the very first time? Imagine being able to see the blue skies the green trees, the streets of Capernaum, the Lake of Galilee. Up until now, they heard the waves, but what was greater than all of this was to be able to look eye to eye in the eyes of the man who had just healed them. They could see Jesus. How awesome. How awesome is it going to be when we finally get to see Jesus face to face?
Some of you that are more uh, musically inclined in church music uh, and maybe a little bit older might have heard of the hymn writer Frances Jane Crosby. She also went by the name of Fanny Crosby and she wrote a lot of hymns. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, What a Foretaste of Glory Divine. She became blind at six weeks after birth. She grew up, love the Lord. God gave her a gift of, of writing hymns. And, and a friend said to her one day, Miss Crosby, it's a pity that God didn't give you your sight when he gave you so many other wonderful gifts. And Fanny Crosby smiled and she said, If I, upon birth, could have had one request of the Lord, is that I would have been born blind. Her friend said, Why? And Fanny smiled and said, Because the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. She's saying, all these other things could steal my attention, haven't spoiled me. The first thing I'm ever going to see is the face of Jesus. Job tells us in Job 19, 26 and 27, And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. So they cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Their eyes were open. They were looking at their Messiah, the prophesied one who, who would come and, and, and open the eyes of the blind. And it happened. Now people ask, well, why aren't blind people healed today? Why aren't those who are deaf, you know, been able to hear? How come those that are paralyzed can't walk? I mean, it happened back then. Why is it not happening now? Listen, God still does heal. And that there are miracles that, that we read about, but it's not exactly as it was back then. See, at this point, Jesus was giving the Jews the opportunity to acknowledge Him as their Messiah. Had they received Him, they could have moved right into the kingdom, but they rejected Him and they nailed Him to the cross. And consequently, although we don't have uh, these type of miracles today as abundant as they were back then, they're not the same uh, as He walked the earth. The miracles we read about in the Gospels, they're really sneak previews of coming attractions, when Jesus will rule and reign, when all will be right, when everyone will be healed. I love Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. I, for one, cannot wait until that day. So here... Their eyes were opened and we read in verse 30 that Jesus then strongly or sternly warned, warned them saying, see that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame them. Come on, can you blame them? When Jesus opens your eyes, you got to tell somebody. But why? Why did he tell them not to tell anybody this? Well, think of it this way. I think this story will help illustrate it. In 1994, Four winners of the Wisconsin State Lottery bought their ticket in the same town. All four winning tickets were, were purchased on Main Street in the tiny northeastern town of Fond du Lac. The winnings totaled four, $256 million. Well, the next year, the shops on Main Street experienced this huge surge in business. People were driving from all over Wisconsin to buy a lotto ticket on Main Street. The place was packed every single day. That's the kind of atmosphere that was surrounding Jesus. Folks from all over Galilee were flocking to, to Jesus. So I see it this way. If Jesus' miracles were widely known, they would attract so much attention and create so much excitement that his movements would be uh, inhibited. He could no longer openly go from town to town, but was would have to go out of desolate places. He could no longer move about as he wished. And so I understand their dilemma. When Jesus says, open your eyes, man, you, you got to tell somebody. 
But obedience is much better than disobedience. Well, this brings us to our second point, compassion for the possessed. Look at verse 32. And they went out. Behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. Now, you've heard the expression, the cat's got your tongue. Well, here the demon has this guy's tongue. Now, notice, though, that this physical disease can be caused by demonic forces. Usually germs and bacterias and, and viruses or congenital defects cause diseases. But in this case, this man's speech impediment was the result of a demon. He was, he was mute. Now, the Bible, uh, you know, doesn't teach that all physical problems are caused by demon possession. There are many different reasons and causes for physical problems, sickness and disease. The main reason we live in a fallen world. So if you have laryngitis and you can't speak, it has nothing to do with demons. You, you can't speak because of inflammation of the larynx. But in this case, here in Matthew 9, the man couldn't speak because he was possessed by a demon. And there are cases today where evil spirits, demons, are the cause of some physical problems. But notice Jesus had great compassion on the man. Verse 33 says, And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. Remember, compassion carries with it the idea of being touched in the deepest way possible and the deepest place of a person's being. Listen, the Lord's compassion is just as strong today as it was 2,000 years ago, and He can remove demons. He can bring healing just as easily today as He did back then. Now, on, on some occasions, in a clear case of demon possession, the Lord may use believers to cast out evil spirits. I think we hear more of this in third world countries uh, where demon possession seems to be more prevalent. But, but it still happens today. Now, of course, the obvious question is after a statement like this is how do we know if a physical problem is caused by a demon? Good question. Years ago, I used to visit a Christian man in a mental facility down in Nixon and I would share with him and, and, he, and he knew the Lord. But, but as I would sit there, I'd look around at some of these people that were in there and I often wondered, okay, are they truly mentally disabled or is there some demon possession going on in these people? And the bottom line is, is that knowledge comes really from seeking wisdom, seeking the Holy Spirit and, and through much prayer and concern. And I believe if, if faith in a situation like that, the Lord does give us wisdom and sensitivity in that area. And, and obviously, if, if it's demon possession and the person is not a Christian, you know, a, a Christian cannot be demon possessed. But I think, though, when believers sense that there's a problem of this nature, man, they need to get together and they need to pray and they need to, to fast and, 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 and seek what God would do. They should pray fervently for the Lord to remove the evil spirit if indeed the illness or problem is caused by demon possession. In fact, we should do this for, for all kinds of diseases and sickness. We should pray together for a healing. And although it may not be the Lord's will to heal in every case, we certainly know, as verse 35 indicates, that the Lord is able to heal every sickness and every disease. And the Lord can remove demons and bring healing. Verse 32 now, it says, When the demon was cast out, the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. They were blown away. And you can imagine that. I mean, look at the miracles that were happening. The power of Jesus was nothing they've ever experienced before. They were blown away. Well, not all of them. Look at verse 34. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. You know, and I think of the, the movies where they portray these Pharisees. You've got you to gotta make your voice a little more evil. You know, he cast out demons by the ruler of these demons. I mean, they're doing that. I mean, you've got to love these guys. Notice, though, they didn't deny the reality of the miracles. They didn't. I mean, 
the fact that the, the problem was that they attributed what was done to the power of demons, as if Jesus were on the same level as them. Now, this is the first time that the Jews will try to discredit the miracles of Jesus as the work of the devil, but it's not the last. And when we get to chapter 12, Jesus will answer them on this. But right here, I love it, he just ignores them. He doesn't respond to them. So Jesus had compassion for the two blind men and he healed them. He showed compassion on the demon-possessed mute man and he healed and delivered them. Now Jesus is going to take it a step further. Look at verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Again, you know, wherever the Lord went, people would mob him. They'd gather around him. Yet he always had time for them. Not only for the people that grabbed him and, and pulled on him and wanted a touch here or there, a word or healing in their life, but Jesus would go out of his way to search for, for hurting and empty people. I think of the, the woman at, at the well. I mean, it was highly unusual for a Jew to go through Samaria, but Jesus says we must needs go to Samaria. So for Jesus to go to Samaria and to go to this immoral woman who'd been married and divorced five times and to engage in her in a conversation was amazing. He went out of his way to take the message to her because he loved her. He had compassion for her. That was typical of our Lord. I think about Jesus going to Jericho and Zacchaeus, you know, the, the wee little man as the kids sing down in Sunday school. The wee little man was he. He was up in a tree. And Jesus found his way to him and said, hey, come on down here. We're going to have, we're going to have lunch together. And he was criticized for talking to Zacchaeus, a, a tax collector, a guy working for Rome and, you know, making money off of uh, your dishonest money. But you see, Jesus, the whole purpose of, of his coming, Luke 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That word for lost there speaks of something that has value but is broken. Do you have anything in your home that's, that's like that, that's valuable but is broken? Listen, I have a hard time throwing things away. And, and if you're a, a husband, you know, I think your wife would say, yeah, you do too. You know, I, I mean, you can ask my family. I, I have this, this three-wheel bike. Okay? It seats two people side by side. My cousin won it back on the price and right, price is right back in 1970. Okay? And uh, I had it since, since, since uh, you know, you're married. That's 40 years ago. And it, it needs new seats and new tires and new chains and, and probably a new fork and, and I don't want to throw it away. I'm going to fix it. I, I want to fix it. And I keep saying that year after year. It has value to it. They don't make these things anymore. I just, if I just get it stripped down and I can put all the stuff on it. and, and uh, Listen, God looks at you and sees you as a person with value. Some are broken because of sin. But I tell you, Jesus can fix life much better and much quicker than I can fix that bike that I have in my garage. Why? Because Jesus sees people behind the facade. He, he sees behind the defense mechanisms that people put up. He sees the real cry of the heart and has compassion on people going out of his way to heal broken hearts. Now this brings us to our third and final point. It's number three. And Jesus' compassion for the lost. Look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And I love this. This is where we get the, the heart of the message. It says he was moved with compassion. This overwhelming sense that, that Jesus felt, compassion that Jesus felt for all of humanity. Every part of him. 
spiritually, emotionally, physically, was affected as he looked upon these people and desired to respond to their, to their deepest needs and to do so throughout their entire life, not just a moment of help or healing. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's not uncommon for a person to cry out to God for help in a crisis. Oh, God, alleviate me from this crisis in my life. Come help, and, and God helps, and then they just go back to their normal lives. God, thanks, see you next crisis, you know. But Jesus sees the big picture, that, that God's compassion is not temporary, it's eternal. God wants to turn men and women to Himself and give them eternal life. He wants to begin in them a good work so that He will accomplish, you want to accomplish in their lives every single day of their lives. He wants to give their lives purpose and meaning. See, Jesus here is the great shepherd and sees everyone as potentially part of his flock. And he's moved with compassion as he looks around at these people and he sees that they're weary. They're scattered like sheep having no shepherd, no one to guide them, no one to direct them, no one to to protect them. People that he loved, people that he cared about needed his help. Do we see people in the same way? Listen, non-believers are not our enemy. There are people who Jesus died for. We need to remember that, that it wasn't that long ago that we were one of them. And we need to have compassion, knowing that Jesus can still heal the spiritually blind. He's in the business of, of setting the captives free, those that are caught in the grasp of the enemy doing His will. Jesus has come to set us free. But Jesus also recognizes that the work is great. And that's why he says in verses 37 and 38, and he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, The harvest is plentiful, but go and sow some more seeds. No, he declares the harvest is so great that it's time for, for the picking. I think that we have been wrongly intimidated by the enemy into thinking that people are not interested in the coming, into coming to Christ. And we can find ourselves duped into thinking that people are not really interested in what we have to say. Jesus says otherwise. He says the harvest is plentiful. See, Jesus was saying to them, and I believe to all of us this morning, uh, to look at lost men and lost women as a wheat field, ready to pick, or, or a field of corn that is ripe for the picking. The harvest is plentiful. I mean, it's fallen off the stalks. But then Jesus says, here's the problem. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Notice that he didn't say the harvest is plentiful, but the spectators are few. Now there's plenty of spectators. He didn't say the harvest is plentiful, but the skeptics are few. Now there's plenty of skeptics out there. He didn't say the harvest is plentiful, but the observers are few, or the critics are few. Do you know why? Because we have plenty of those things. Now, and I'm talking about believers here who say, oh, I, I would just rather watch and be a spectator on the sidelines. Or the skeptics are, I don't know if, if coming to Jesus is that easy. Or, or the critics, well, I don't like the way you share your faith. A woman once approached the great evangelist D.L. Moody to air a grievance. And the woman said to Mr. Moody, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you do evangelism. Well, ma'am, let me ask you, how do you do it? Moody asked. And she replied, I don't. Moody responded, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> so many Christians shrink away from their call to evangelize the lost. Here's the thing that, that we need to remember. God has primarily chosen to reach humanity through people. 
I don't know why it is. If I were God, I, I don't think I would use people. I mean, we, we, we make messes of our lives and mistakes and shortcomings and flaws. If I were God, I think I'd just roll back to heaven, spoke my faith to and say, Humanity, I'm God, you're not. I was just thinking, yeah, you don't believe me, you believe me, or else I'm going to kill you. That's it. And so, come to faith. Aren't you glad I'm not God? <laughs> but God has chosen to work through human instruments, through, through human individuals. And I would venture to say, without knowing your own personal story, how you came to faith, that God reached you through other people. I know. People sow seeds in your life, and after you were converted, you could look back to the earliest days, maybe as a child, there you sat in Sunday school and your teacher shared with you the gospel. Or maybe it was an uncle or an aunt, maybe parent or, or grandparents, grandma, you know. In my case, it was multiple people. Maybe someone just walked up to you on the street one day, said a little this, a little that, you know. One day it came into focus and you might have been in church. Maybe you're watching a TV program. I hear a lot of uh, testimonies of guys that, that, you know, at the end of their rope and they turn on the TV and, and there's a, a guy on TV talking about coming to the Lord and the, the salvation. Maybe you talked to a friend on the phone. Maybe it came into focus and you made this commitment to Jesus Christ. God worked through a person to reach you. Now here's my question. Will you be that person for someone else? Are you willing to show compassion for those that are lost? Listen, I believe that there are many people longing for meaning and purpose in life, ready to come to Christ, ready to fill that void in their hearts, just waiting for someone to share with them the good news. Jesus is calling all of us to be laborers. Do you know what that means? It means work. Labor, labor means work. It means we need to get out there and start working the field. This go team this Friday night, weather permitting, it's working the field. Now, sometimes, a lot of times, you know, Greg will tell you there's a lot of homeless folks down there, homeless kids, high school kids that are down there. And then we share with them that they've hit rock bottom. Sometimes it's college students with all the, the colleges around there, and, and they don't know anything about the Lord. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And we have the opportunity to get the word out to do the work of an evangelist, as Paul told Timothy. Showing compassion for those that are lost, those that are blind. Showing compassion to those that are bound by the enemy. And in so doing, doing so without this condescending, judgmental attitude. I think it's real easy for us as Christians to look down on people. But we forget that we were once where they were. And we need to remember, except for the grace of God, there goes any one of us. I mean, we have to love these people. We're not better than they are. We're just better off. That's why we need to go to where the people are. Because I believe they're ready and they're willing to hear what we have to say, the good news, the gospel, if they know that we care. You know, our new facility that we're working on right now, we're getting plans all drawn up and, and, and getting ready to go. And, and, you know, it's up the street from Missouri State University, just a block down from OTC, around the corner from Drury. And, and, and we're going to be going to where the college students are. I see that no one is really seeking to really reach the college-age kids that, that I know of in, in, this, in this area, maybe a few, but the millennials... I mean, they're not breaking down the doors of church to come to church. So we need to go to them. We need to go to where they're at. I heard a story of an elderly preacher who used to go out every Sunday night on a little corner on Main Street Town and preach to people. And he handed out gospel tracts. No one ever really listened to him. No one ever gave their lives to the Lord. Most people wadded up his tracts and threw them on the ground. Finally, after doing that for, for many years, he gave up. It had been a number of years since he had been back to that street. One day he decided to go back there again. He's walking along and right there in the same spot where he used to stand was this young man telling people about Jesus, handing out Christian, you know, materials. 
And the old preacher walks up to him and says, uh, young man, I have to ask you how is it that you came to be standing in this particular spot handing out these materials? The guy says, well, there used to be an old guy who used to stand here every Saturday night. I took one of his pieces of literature. I went home and I, and I read it and I gave my life to Jesus. And I thought the least I could do is come back here and share the gospel like he did. He's probably gone to heaven. I don't know where he's at now. The old preacher said, son, I was that man. I want to stand with you from now on. I mean, this is my point. Be confident in the power of the word of God and be patient to see God move and work. Your efforts will pay off, maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow or the next day. But evangelism is work. And it could be discouraging when, you know, when the crop doesn't take, when the plants don't grow. When you sow a seed in a person's life and you tell them about Jesus and nothing happens, you may get discouraged. But listen, maybe three weeks later, maybe a month later, a year later, you run into that person and they get all excited because now they're walking with the Lord and God used you to bring this person into faith into Jesus Christ. Maybe it's simply just inviting someone to church. And, and, and you want to bring someone to church, but you go, I don't know, I hope that Pastor Tom doesn't say one of his corny jokes and they get up and walk out. I, I, I can't help that. You get what you get. But, but maybe they hear the gospel and they get saved. I tell you, that is exciting. Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. But let me tell you, you bring someone to church and watch them get saved, you're, you're going to be jumping up and down. You're going to be, yes, yes, it's exciting. It breathes life into a church. And you're going to be excited because God has used you to be a part of it and has honored your efforts. And above all, you're answering what Jesus asked us here to pray about. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You've answered the call. Now, one more thing about a laborer, a farmer. Let me say this. You have to have the right tool for the job. Back then they had sickles, right? Very sharp. You know, but what good is it going to do you if you leave that sickle in the shed, you know, in the barn? The sickle may be really sharp, but, but, but you're not using it. In the same way, the tool that God has given us is the Word of God. And according to Hebrews 4.12, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division and soul of the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God cuts, it pokes, it, it moves in people's lives. But if you're not using it, you know, what good does it do you? As laborers in God's harvest, we need to know how to use the tools that he's given to us. Know how to use the word of God to share the gospel in a very compassionate and effective and a loving way. And of course, the more you use it, the better at you, you get with it. You know, it's, it's like any tool that you have. You know, the more you use it, you're better at with it. Our sickle becomes better the more we use it. And there are times uh, when it comes to, you know, sharing our faith, we just really need to, to lay it on the line for people. You really need to just tell it like it is. Yeah, we're to build bridges with people and we're to talk with them and we're to be an example to them and listen to them and, and appeal to their emptiness in their life and, and tell them how Jesus can fill the void. That's all great. That's a part of the gospel. But sometimes there has to come a point where you get to the bottom line. And we know what the bottom line is. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And there has to come a point where you say, listen, friend, you've broken God, God's commandments. You are a sinner. You're separated from Him by sin. But God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for your sin. He paid the sin for you. And if you turn from that sin and you put your faith and trust in Him, you can be saved. He can be your Savior and your Lord. You will be forgiven. If you don't do that, 
Judgment is coming. It awaits you. Now, I don't like saying that, you know, but that's the gospel. I have to give them the whole story. And then pray. In fact, that's what Jesus says in verse 38. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You pray. Pray. Big part of this. It's been said you can do more than pray, but you cannot do anything until you have prayed. Prayer is the most uh, powerful means for advancing the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because it's something we all could do. All of us can do that. So pray for opportunities for evangelism. Pray for divine appointments as God sets them up. Pray for our church as a whole that we have more opportunities to share Christ. Pray for our new building project that through a larger facility, through our new location, we'll be able to reach so many more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a, a, a heart for the lost, pray that God would change your heart. Listen, not all, all you know, believers have money that they can give to send out missionaries. And not all believers have a, you know, appropriate callings and gifts to reach thousands for Christ. But each and every one of us as believers can pray. Pray for the success of the gospel. Now guess what happens when you start to pray? You might just be the one being sent. Again, Jesus said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, you get that, that burden, all of a sudden you're praying, oh, I pray for the lost, and Lord, we need to pray to you just send out laborers, and Lord, just send them out, and all of a sudden said, I'm sending you out. Sending you out. Yeah, Lord, I just pray for someone else to go out. I'm sending you out. Oh, Lord, I pray for someone else. <laughs> Listen to the Lord. Pray. Don't be surprised if you end up being called to go. And do something about it. So everybody has a part to play. Pray for the go team. I mean, we start the Christmas season. They'll get the decorations up. You know you're going to see family that don't know the Lord. Start praying for them now. Pray for those opportunities to be a laborer in the harvest. Listen, as we close and enter in a time of communion, we need to ask ourselves, do we have compassion for those that are blind spiritually? Do we have compassion for those that are caught up in the grips of Satan doing his will? Do we have compassion for the lost? You know, the complainers are many, the observers are many, the the spectators are many, the critics are many, but the laborers are few. Are you a laborer in the harvest? Will you become one? Will you ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to stir your heart so you have a burden for the lost? Will you allow God's Spirit to touch you so that you can look around and, and see sheep without a shepherd. I pray that as we get closer to the Lord's return, I do believe He's coming back soon, that our, our, our hearts would be so stirred that not one of us would want to keep quiet. And we just want to go and tell what, what Jesus has done for us. Well, we're going to enter in a time of communion, and a time of communion is really for believers to be able to, to you know, remember the work that Jesus Christ did upon the cross. It's a time for us to to uh, search our hearts, make sure we're right with the Lord, and, 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 and recognize that, that the price that he paid upon the cross covered all of our sins. They're forgiven once and for all. As far as the east is from the west, he's put our sin from us. His blood that was shed washed us clean. And if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand that. And so communion is important for us as believers to partake in. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ then really the Bible teaches you shouldn't partake in communion. It teaches that you're bringing judgment upon yourself. So if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, do so now. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Partake communion with us and, and, and be blessed to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what we'll do as, as we really just get into this place of, of focusing our hearts and minds 
on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love and compassion that you've showed in our lives, each one of our lives, Lord, that you called us and used people, whatever means you did, Lord, to, to open our eyes to be able to see our need for a Savior and Lord. We thank you, Lord, that our sin has been forgiven. Lord, as we have studied, we pray, Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us a compassion for those that are blind spiritually, Lord. We see it all around us, Lord. All we have to do is turn on the news and the TV and we see spiritually blind people spouting off things that they know nothing about, Lord. And we see the emptiness and the loneliness. We see the people as sheep without a shepherd. Lord, help us to have compassion for those that are blind. Lord, we recognize that there are many that don't know you that are caught up in the grips of Satan, the, the devil, to do his will, Lord, as, as your word says to Timothy. They're chained. They're enchained. They're bound. Lord, but Jesus, you came to set the captives free. Lord, help us to have compassion on those that are bound. And finally, Lord, help us to have compassion for those that are lost, no matter who they are, Lord to the homeless person living on the streets, and to the rich man living in, a, in, in the big high towers, Lord, wherever they are. Lord, help us have compassion on the lost and be able to share the hope that we have, Lord, to this hurting and, and dying world. Now, Lord, as we spend this time in communion, Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for the work that you've done in our lives, Lord, by going to the cross and forgiving us and cleansing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.